Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Nitu Arnold. She is Senior Research Associate at the National Association of Scholars. Uh, that is nas.org, if some of you wish to look up uh, NAS online. And she is the author of a report. The NAS does a lot of reports monitoring higher education. Uh, this was a report that I thought would interest our listeners. Uh, it is called Priced Out, What College Costs America. Welcome, Nitu. Hi, thank you for having me. All right. Question number one. Uh, how does your well, – well, let me, let me quote uh, something in, in the press release about the report. It says, colleges and universities have facilitated a massive transfer of wealth from American families to higher education bureaucracies through rising tuition and student debt. There, okay, so there, there we have the, the thesis. How does your report lay out that massive transfer? Yes, yeah, so I think the goal of my report was really to look into why students are going into debt. You know, currently we have 45 million students in America who owe uh, $1.7 trillion in federal student loan debt. That isn't even considering uh, private student loans. Huh. And we also wanted to look into why higher education has become so expensive. You know, the cost has more than doubled in the last 40 years. Uh, those who attend a public university are uh, on average paying around $25,000, while those attending a private university are paying um, over $50,000. And that is uh, a big uh, transfer in wealth because a lot of parents are saving uh, since their kids are little and college, the, the costs aren't what they used to be. And so the third part of this equation we wanted to consider was uh, whether growing college administrations have played a role in this, how much funding goes towards them and, you know, what, what sort of decisions are they making that are contributing to these higher costs and whether those costs are called for. And so I think that was, um, a big focus of the study. I really wanted to look at, um, you know, we really wanted to look at this in a comprehensive manner. Now, uh, tuition has gone up, certainly. Mm -hmm. And I think back, you know, I'm, I'm a very, very old, ancient, decrepit man. And I started UCLA in 1977, Need to. Now you're you 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 just got out of college not too many years ago, but I'm I'm going to give you a number that's gonna that's gonna pain you. When I started at UCLA, uh, tuition they were called registration fees, 
Tuition was about $130 a quarter. UCLA was on quarters, so you had three quarters a year. So tuition was less than $500, need to. How does that how does that uh, how does that impress you need to? <laughs> I I really wish it was that. Um unfortunately that's not what it is right now and uh, something I wanted to touch upon in my report is that yes. a lot of times when going to college or taking out student loans it's seen as an individual choice and it really is and that's why when there are discussions over debt forgiveness or even addressing the student debt crisis, I think there are many people who either didn't go to college or they didn't take out loans and they simply say, it's not my problem. And in the report, something I try to convey is that there are various consequences, social, economic, and political consequences that affect everybody. And, you know, just to uh, paint one of these consequences, you know, I look at the political consequences, for example, you know, a lot of students are willing to accept free college or student debt forgiveness or universal basic income because they look at their own dire situations and they they want help. And this is not just for those who have taken out debt, but even for those who are simply going to college. You know, college is a huge time and financial burden. And so during the most productive years, students are instead uh, either paying off student loans or they're going to college. And this is a time where they could be acquiring various assets, such as buying a house or buying a car. They could be having children. We do know that for stable societies, we need, we need stable families. And that's simply, you know, that that's not happening right now. And yeah. so um, it, it, there, there are just various consequences I think we need to be paying attention to. And the increasing cost of higher education is definitely a factor contributing to these sort of uh, dire situations. Now, uh, given the extraordinary rise in tuition, you bring something out that doesn't really make sense. How do colleges spend beyond their means? You say they spend more money than they take in each year. What is going on there? Right. So a big part of this report was looking into administrative bloat, and we provide a, a, a precise definition, which is the wasteful expansion of spending on administrators and staff. And so we really wanted to see whether their salaries were increasing by a lot, whose salaries were increasing, and uh, where's the expenditures going. Now, in terms of finding the salary information, that was a lot harder to find. Um, we used uh, information from the Department of Education, but they don't necessarily provide specific salary information for more recent years. So uh, we do try to do an analysis, but uh, something else we found was um, at least at our 50 universities between 1987 and 2018, the number of administrators and staff grew by 50% from about 150,000 people to 225,000. And most of these expansions are in uh, categories such as executives and managers and then other professionals. So executive and managers would include people like deans, provosts, managers, and other professionals are um, kind of broad. 
And so they can include positions like engineers, social workers, and those working on the business side of the university. And so um, something that's interesting to see, especially uh, through a close analysis of the University of Maryland at College Park and Temple University, was that we saw um, universities increasingly expand roles that are more externally related. So that might include marketing, fundraising, public relations, rather than roles that directly help students with their education. And so I think right there, you're kind of seeing the quality of education uh, decrease, and yet students are paying a lot of uh, money for things that are unrelated to their actual education. Yeah, you you note that the higher spending by universities, very little of that goes toward uh, more instructional purposes. Uh, One would think that universities, if you wanted to talk about universities in commodity terms, Universities offer education, they offer instruction, they offer knowledge and skills, and yet that's not where they are investing. Isn't this a little bizarre? It is, and yet at the same time, I think uh, universities are kind of dealing with two different priorities. So the one that you're talking about is more of the educational priority, right? It's about preserving knowledge. It's about passing it down to future generations. But then there's another part to this, and those are marketing priorities. So it's seeing how many students you can attract to the university. It doesn't really matter if they are academically prepared. It's just a, it's a numbers game. And I think when we're pushing this narrative of college for all, we're not taking into account that people have different abilities, different talents, different interests. Uh, we're simply trying to push them to get this four-year education. And it doesn't help that many employers require a college degree, regardless of whether the job actually requires the education. And don't get me wrong. I don't, you know, I don't want to say that nobody should be getting a college education. I think there are many uh, jobs out there that require that, but there are many jobs out there that would be just fine with a proper high school education or with proper career preparation. And I, I think that's why we're having so many people who are dropping out of university. Uh, they're acquiring debt for something that they were simply told by a lot of people that you just have to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, we, we have an explanation out there which attributes tuition increases to uh, state legislatures cutting school budgets. How true is that rationale? Uh, so what you're talking about is a theory called state disinvestment. I like to call it cheap state theory. Hmm. And we actually tested this theory with the 26 public universities in our sample. And for the most part, uh, this explanation didn't really hold up. Uh, just to go into the details, um, when state appropriations decreased, uh, you know, the appropriations to the average public university in our data set decreased by about $3,700 per student, but the re- revenue from tuition increased by nearly $14,000 uh, per student. You know, that that doesn't really make sense for uh, the 
cheap states theory right there. And so I think there's a lot more to this conversation. And this isn't to say that some schools uh, would not suffer, uh, especially if they're heavily reliant on um, public funding. But at least in our universities, uh, that was not the case. And in, in our report, we actually go through a couple of these theories um, for why tuition could be increasing. I thought it was important to discuss those theories because yeah. they often frame uh, the policies and public discussion surrounding higher education finances. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that sometimes gets overlooked in the discussion of this catastrophic debt that 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds now have, uh, they just carry with them for years and years. And it sounds like a disaster, but the student debt crisis has been fantastic for colleges and universities, correct? I mean, they got all the money. Yes, so they don't really have any accountability in this. You know, as long as they attract students, uh, they get them to come to their university, their retention rates look good or at least decent. Uh, you know, that's it. There, there really isn't a way to measure whether these universities are educating our students correctly, whether our students can think critically or they're performing well in their jobs. And so we do need some sort of accountability uh, you know, one thing that I propose, uh, a solution that I propose in my report is that universities uh, should be held accountable for student outcomes. Um, and when students drop out and they either default on their loans or they, they have a lot of student debt, uh, the university should be held accountable for some of those student loans. Yeah. Uh, that way, I think universities would not have an incentive to simply accept any student either to fulfill diversity quotas or uh, any other thing that they're, they're just trying to get as many students as possible. I think uh, universities should be carefully considering who they accept in their class and whether they are academically prepared. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Yeah, need to. Let me ask you something personal for a moment. When you were in college, you're in college in the teens. I'm. I'm. I, I gather. Yes. Did you know a lot of students who had big loans? Um. You know, I would hear about a couple of people who would owe a lot of student debt, or they were taking out a lot of loans. And personally, for me. Uh, you know, when I was looking at colleges, I really wanted to avoid student debt. So I tried to look at colleges that offered um, 100 percent. They, they would need the financial need. Um, that was a really big part in how I chose colleges. But I know plenty of people who were going into debt. I knew some people who weren't going into debt, but it was still a financial burden. They were paying um, the full 50000 to attend Cornell. That's where I attended. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that was a big burden for them. There were some people who I saw 
uh, were working around the clock. Um, when I say working around the clock, I mean like they were working a lot. And even after that, it still wasn't enough to pay for their education. Um, and, you, you know, it, it is a little disheartening to see that because they are really working hard. They're trying to make their ends meet and it's still not enough. Need to, I, I, I do not understand it. I, I can't imagine doing this. Uh, I, I mean, I mentioned how cheap UCLA was, but one reason I went there is because I didn't have any money. My family didn't really ha- have any money to help me, so I worked part-time through college and then full-time over the summers and lived in uh, you know crummy apartments to, to pay very little rent and ate a lot of oatmeal and spaghetti. I, I remember one one quarter I had to borrow uh, $1,800 from UCLA. They had a little a little aid loan program within the university. And I hated having $1,800 in debt uh, at this time. It took me only a, a couple of years after graduating to pay it off. But what goes through the head of an 18-year-old who can't afford Cornell's $50,000 a year price tag and is, I mean, is this going to be, this is going to be more than $100,000 in debt. What, what did these peers of yours think? What was running through their heads when they signed that? I mean, just the money, the money was, was almost just too tempting to, to take and they didn't think about the long term. What what went into that decision? Well, if you're talking about people who specifically went to Cornell or another Ivy League university or prestigious university, I think they're looking at the prestige. They're looking at the expectations that if you attend this uh, expensive private university that's also prestigious, you will get a good job. You will be more competitive than other people who do not have that Ivy League stamp. And uh, that was something I actually learned from, from some of my interviewees who also attended Cornell or another prestigious university. Uh, you know, they were really concerned about the rankings and the prestige. And uh, the other thing with prestige is that it's, you're hoping that you will get a quality education. And in some instances, that was not the case. Uh, I interviewed two students who graduated from Cornell. They also both attended different community colleges, and they felt like the instructional and teaching quality was so much better at the community college than when they went to the Ivy League University. And, you know, and this is just at 18, or at, for some of these people, they're not 18. But if we're looking at how students are making college decisions, uh, you know, first of all, students and parents view college as an insurance policy. Uh, you know, they, they view it as a way to avoid perennial unemployment. And specifically for a lot of 18-year-olds, uh, they're looking at other factors, you know, social and career benefits over the cost. Some of the students who I talked to, when they made their decision to go to college, they were either in this small town or they felt like they were in the middle of nowhere. And they viewed college as an opportunity to get out of that small town, to make new experiences, meet new people. And unfortunately, the regrets among many of my students, it had less to do about whether they attended college or not. It was more over 
the choices they made between colleges. Some students, uh, you know, they received offers. They received a full ride from a state university, but they opted for the expensive university or a college far away from home. And they realized once they were paying their debts or they they paid a lot of money that they realized maybe maybe they should have opted for the cheaper option. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask. Those who did uh, calculate that going to Cornell or one of the other prestigious schools would pay off, that actually the student loan for Cornell would be financially advantageous to them. With the people you interviewed, uh, how, how often did that pan out to be true? Um, it didn't really pan out a lot of times. So, uh, you know, for people who went into fields uh, such as journalism and their reporters, their salaries are not going to keep up with the loans they owe. And that may be a career choice right there. Now, for people who took out loans and they felt like it was worth it, it was worth the trouble, they ended up in fields where they would be able to pay that back easily. I think there was one person I interviewed who went to state university. She was very, um, she was very cognizant of the costs and knew uh, that she would owe debt, but she wanted to be a meteorologist. And she accordingly made her decision. She went to graduate school and it paid off for her. And she made sure to live within her means yeah. uh, so that she could pay off those loans. And so that's how that was possible for her. But I think for a lot of people, they're really sold on the idea that you need to go to college. You need to go to a prestigious university. And in some cases, that may be the case that if you're not going to this prestigious university, you may be, uh, you, you may not be able to get a job in a certain sector. But I, I think there are more issues about perceptions of college and just the idea that college is the only way. I don't think it has to be the only way. I think we should have more options that align with career goals and uh, the needs of various fields. Uh, I'll tell you a story. I was speaking at a two-year college in North Carolina, and it was kind of a technical college. And I asked the provost, she was walking me around campus, I asked the provost about the retention rate at the college, and because a lot of two-year colleges have very poor retention rates, she says, ours isn't bad. We've actually aligned nicely with local businesses to create an educational program that would feed right into their employment needs, and that helps. But we do we do have some students, uh, a good portion drop out, and we could almost predict it because they always drop out during a particular week. And I said, what do you mean during a particular week? What What goes on in that week? And she said... Well, they get their financial aid loan checks. Ah, okay. They get the money and they're gone. Now, who knows how common this is, but th- this, is what, this is what she said. Uh, how many, did, do you, did you see a lot of students who get, I mean, you, you were going to, the, to these 50 schools, a lot of prestigious schools, but did you find a lot of students who got the financial aid, uh, not the aid, the, the loan packages and they didn't even graduate? Um, the specific situation you're discussing, so this is kind of new for me to hear, so I can't really <laughs> yeah, speak yeah. to that with uh, 
the the um, people that I interviewed, but I, I did notice that a lot of people they did take out loans, and for some people they didn't realize that it would be a lot harder to pay off. They were way more optimistic going into college. Um, and I think part of it just has to do with the fact that uh, they're young. They're very. They're, they look forward to the future, and when they graduate college, it becomes a different scenario when you actually have to take on this responsibility. Yeah. You know, you, you noted earlier in the broadcast that there are a lot of more people, a lot more people hired in universities to do these externals, as you put it, you know, marketing, public relations, government relations. Why do universities need so many more of those kinds of people? I mean, I think part of it is because they uh, seek influential power, especially within their local communities. Uh, When we looked at our 50 universities, uh, you know, we looked at whether they're the top employer within their city or county. And the majority of our universities, I think it was around 32 out of 50, were within the top 10 employers within their universities. And of course, when you seek influential power, you know, you can you can maybe have some influence over policies that are adopted in your universities or how much funding you receive. And so I think that's a big reason for why they look for these positions. Uh, Some of these positions I could, so one would be student recruitment. I actually consider that an external position because that isn't a service that benefits the students at the university who are currently there. It's more about recruiting students. Maybe it's for a sports position or just potential students. And, you know, they're looking to diversify their campuses, whether that be, uh, you know, finding students from different states or different parts of the state, or it's uh, just trying to recruit as many students as possible. And again, I think it goes back to the marketing priority I was discussing earlier that, it, it really is a numbers game. It's about getting as many students as possible. To a certain extent, I think it's about looking competitive as well, because when you can get more students to apply to your university, but um, you only accept the same amount, your um, acceptance rate goes down. And so it makes it look as if you're more competitive than you actually are. And so that, of course, looks good to ranking sites like US News and, uh, you know, for parents or students who are looking for competitive uh, institutions, even seeing that number could make an influence. All right. I, I, I wonder if, you know, the student population has been roughly going down. Not much, but as as the millennials go, go down, Generation Z is smaller. But it could be ever since yeah. maybe Generation X, which was much smaller than the boomers, that universities now are competing over a smaller pool of students, and especially to get the good students or to get the minority students, that they they do have to do more marketing, more recruitment. They have to convince politicians that they're trying harder to serve students in the state or certain student populations. Do you think that that, there are competitive pressures that make, if one university hires this kind of recruitment coordinator, then another university with whom the first university competes for students, well, we gotta hire one too. Is that part of this process? 
I mean, that could be in terms of trying to get the top students. I'm not sure if it's so much about marketing to them because the top students will find out about these universities one way or the other. You know, they're they're the ones looking at the uh, rankings. They're looking at websites. They're they're invested in their future. Um, I think a lot of universities pay more attention to students who may be marginally interested in higher education or they're not really sure what they want to do or Again, they're trying to fill certain quotas. And so, you know, I don't think that's the best investment because, again, you're trying, you know, a university, it's not just about um, seeing how many students you can get. It's about having a quality education. It's about having quality students. And for, you know, for the students who shouldn't be going to college, I would like to see them either receive, again, career preparation or just some sort of training so that they're prepared for whatever they need to pursue uh, without going into debt. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what are your recommendations for fixing the college pricing problem? Yes. So, you know, one, one solution we have is that colleges um, eliminate duplicate departments or roles. Um, I think that would uh, decrease costs. Uh, another thing we suggest is that universities offer, um, you know, alternative options uh, to the four-year degree. And so one thing that I propose is that there should be a vocational track. That would be about two to three years long. It is meant for people who need some higher education, but some field experience. So an example of that would be people who are in journalism, who are pursuing, um, you know, elementary education. I think people should have a chance to make mistakes in the field, but in a low stakes environment, but they should also um, have opportunity for uh, the knowledge received in higher education. And then, um, you know, one practical uh, recommendation I have, this is not so much from a policy perspective as it is just something that everyday Americans can do for those who want to pursue higher education. I think it is possible to graduate debt-free if students first attended community college for two years, uh, get those general education requirements out of the way, yeah. and then per, then go to a state university. Um, and I think that's, that's an appealing option because a lot of state universities will put a lot of resources towards their top performing students. You know, they want to make sure that they graduate, that they're doing well. Maybe they, they, they can put these students on their brochures and market to other people that they're a great university. But either way, um, I think this is a good opportunity for students who are uh, high achievers, but they're also looking for affordable options. The report is Priced Out, What College Costs America. You can find it on the National Association of Scholars website, nas.org. Neetu Arnold, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.